Hello, friends. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Schoolyard Podcast, brought to you by School Specialty. I'm your host, Nancy Chung, a fun-loving teacher and content creator, also known as Fancy Nancy and Fifth, on social media, and I'm thrilled that you're here. A special shout out to School Specialty, who offers essential educational supplies and complete learning environment solutions to help you transform more than classrooms. And now, School Specialty offers the world's leading multi-sensory experience brand, Snoozlin, plus a vast assortment of other proven products and a team of experts to tailor solutions to your unique needs. This is the Schoolyard Podcast, a podcast by educators for educators, where the magic of learning unfolds. Imagine walking into a room filled with soft, cozy textures, soothing music playing in the background, and the gentle scent of lavender in the air. These spaces are carefully crafted to create a multi-sensory experience that can help us relax, focus, or simply enjoy the moment. Whether it's a sensory room for individuals with special needs or a sensory garden for everyone to enjoy, these spaces have the power to transport us to a world of sensory delight. In this episode, I will be talking with our special guests, Cecilia Cruz and Suan Highland, about the benefits of sensory spaces for both students and teachers and how to implement them into the classroom. Cecilia Cruz is a special needs subject matter expert for school specialty, and she has dedicated herself to the health and well-being of others throughout a 38-year career as a registered and licensed occupational therapist. Dr. Sue Ann Highland is the National Education Strategist for School Specialty and derives her expertise from over 25 years in education. Sue Ann was my very first guest on the Schoolyard Podcast, and I learned so much from her. It's so great to have you back, Sue Ann, and welcome to the Schoolyard, Cecilia. Thank you. Starting with Cecilia, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. And thank you for having me. This is so much fun. So I, um, my name is Cecilia Cruz. I am an occupational therapist and I am, my official title is the subject matter expert for special needs for school specialty. I spent many years as a therapist working in both healthcare settings, inpatient and outpatient uh, facilities, as well as school districts and head starts and even some private patients. So you name it, probably I've done it um, with children with special needs. And um, I came to the company about 20 years ago. I actually was hired to sort of help um, with technical questions on some of the products that I myself was an end user for many years. And the role has evolved from there. Oh, wow. 20 years. Okay. How about you, Sue Ann? Hi, everybody. So happy to be back. Thank you for having us back. I'm so hey. thrilled to be here with my awesome partner in crime, Cecilia. So I'm <laughs> thrilled to death to be on with her. Uh, my name is Sue Ann for everybody, and I am in my 30th year in education. Wow. I am a retired administrator, everything from CTE director to principal to teacher, and I'm also an industrial organizational psychologist. So I love talking about change and improvement, and I really specialize in working with um, how people and processes work together. And here at School Specialty, I am the national education strategist. Mm -hmm. And what that means is I get around to all kinds of teachers and schools and districts and get to do lots of spoiling of teachers, which is <laughs> my favorite part of my job, and get a chance to go around talking about just this 
very awesome subject like we're doing today. Wow, that's amazing. Well, we're going to be discussing sensory spaces today. We have uh, such a wide range of listeners, early childhood teachers, secondary teachers, administrators, and I'm finding out we have a lot of parents listening as well. And not everyone is familiar with what sensory spaces are. Can we start with the question, what is a sensory space? Absolutely. And okay, I'm going to start with that one, Sue Ann, if that's all right. Go for you. it. And I, you know, probably the best way to frame this up maybe is with the story on a student, if that's okay, Nancy, because I think of course. Kind of, I think this will kind of hit it home. So as an OT working in the schools, um, I had a student who was on on the autism spectrum, we'll call him Cedric. So um, more on the profound side of the spectrum. So nonverbal, and he had a lot of, of, of what we call high sensory preferences. So it was difficult for him to come to school, get off the bus, go have his breakfast, then get to class and do everything he's supposed to do in his special education class. And by 10 or 10.30 every day, probably 10.30 or so, he was in a full-blown meltdown mm -hmm. where they would have to remove him from the rest of the class and kind of put him in this time out for lack of a better word. Um, and he didn't know how to say, hey, Mrs. Jones, my sensory system's getting overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You know, I need a break. So he would escalate, escalate, escalate until guess what? The quiet or timeout space was mm -hmm. quiet. It had a weighted blanket. There was a beanbag chair. And so that was his way of getting what his body needed for self-regulation. And when we flipped the script on him and said, okay, let's think about this. And maybe by nine or 9.30, we should give him that sort of quiet space mm -hmm. and um, let him have that time, not as punishment, not as a reward, but just as part of what we sort of call mm -hmm. his sensory diet, that we saw a drastic decrease in his behaviors and his ability to learn better. Oh, wow. So- fast forward that into sort of universal design mm -hmm. for learning and that we're finding a lot of kids are like this, that they get overwhelmed, they're anxious, they need a break, we don't allow for that. So when we start creating these tools for sensory spaces, for some kids, it's quiet, mm -hmm. it's going to be furniture with spatial boundary issues, it's going to be visual or auditory commerce, we'll talk about those in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, for some kids, they need to wiggle. So we're going to get them somewhere where they can move a little bit. Mm -hmm. As we address those sensory needs, we find no matter special needs or not, that we can maybe have an impact on focus, attention and learning. And Suanne, I know you're nodding your head. I so comment away. <laughs> I love no, I totally love when you call it a sensory diet. I love that because <laughs> it's just everybody needs something a little different. And I love, I love that you matter of fact, Cecilia, you should even share about what what you say when you talk about curb cuts. I love, sure. love that example. Sure. Curb so, cuts. like I said, so uh, you know, this was years ago as a therapist, I'm putting you know, carving out refrigerator boxes for kids so that we make a window and a door so they can crawl mm -hmm. in and have a quiet space. That's how uh -huh. my sensory spaces started as, you know, mm -hmm. as an OT in the schools. Mm -hmm. And then we've expanded certainly, um, and we'll get into, like we said, a little bit more of that. But as Sue Ann said, I really see this more what was once Basically, universal design is what was designed for the margins becomes good mm -hmm. for the masses. So in this mm -hmm. case, my Cedric and many other students like him 
needed something sort of special for their mm -hmm. needs. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing, so just like curb cuts that were designed for wheelchair users or um, paddle switches on the wall were designed for people with arthritis originally because they couldn't do, use their thumb and finger to turn on and off a switch. So you get the idea. Again, what was for the margins is becoming good, you know, becomes good for the masses. And that's what I think these sensory spaces, especially, you know, post pandemic, it's really hit a need for social emotional learning and for health and wellness mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that we create these kinds of spaces. That's amazing. Are, are sensory spaces just for students? As you're mentioning these things, I'm like, sometimes I feel like I need to get away and pull myself out and just go to my calm corner. Maybe, you know, it could be a um, and like an auditory corner where I listen to calming music or I, I do play a lot of classical music in my classroom, too. But is it just for students or can this be can uh, sensory spaces be for educators as well? And if so, oh. what would be the benefits? <laughs> go ahead. Sue. Oh, man, I you nailed it. It it is definitely not just something we need to consider when it comes to students, staff, teachers, principals even need mm -hmm. that time. And so I know Cecilia and I always encourage schools to think about those adults in the building too. You know, just like students, we've all dealt with a lot of changes since COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all a lot more aware of time that we do need, like you said, to go to someplace quiet. Maybe I need to ride a bike. Maybe I need just to dampen some noise. Mm -hmm. So really looking at that lounge space, you know, that, that time away, I remember, and you probably remember too, because we both have been in the business such a long time. Mm -hmm. Do you remember those staff lounges that had the old folding tables and the you know, folding chairs that somebody, you know, in a garage sale went and picked up and grabbed because we needed chairs in the lounge, right? Mm -hmm. It's really beyond that now. And we really want to kind of look at what does that space look like and feel like, are we dimming lights? Are we giving them spots that they can sit down? Heck, Cecilia and I even designed one, one time with a group that had a massage chair, in oh, the wow. Oh, I know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh -huh. Yes. Um, but just, just yeah, we got to over them. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's a great way to, to use that as a recruitment tool, a retention tool. How can we really mitigate some of that stress and anxiety and all of those just big burdens that teachers are dealing with right now mm -hmm. and give them a spot and say, Hey, during an interview, you know, as a principal go, okay, by the way, We've even included you guys as, you know, important people in our building. And we want to make sure that we build you a space that has some of your sensory needs in mind too. And mm -hmm. um, go take them on a tour of that, that lounge. It might help. Right. Oh, that would, how enticing would that be when you uh, see a staff lounge that clearly shows that teachers are valued and appreciated? Mm -hmm. That would be okay. amazing. Yeah, I was that particular design we included a, a bubble wall so that and this kind of gets oh. into my question next that will go over how you set your self-regulation or how you set your sensory needs but we had a bubble tube we had um uh the massage chair we had a weighted uh -huh. blanket we had noise canceling headphones uh -huh. so really creating mm -hmm. a, a quiet space with some visual calmers as well visual and uh -huh. auditory calmers okay what's a bubble wall 
as soon as you said bubble, I'm like, bubble wall. That's an excellent question. So um, we have um, bubble tubes. So literally uh -huh. a column of water or bubble uh -huh. walls. And you mm -hmm. often see this at hotels now. They're really getting savvy in lobbies where there'll be sort of a, a self-contained water feature. So that's what a bubble wall is. Literally, it's a plexiglass panel that it, it does have um, the capability to change colors and then you see the effects of the bubbles. Same thing with a bubble tube, it's just cylindrical. Oh, and okay. we put it on a platform so that the kids can crawl on and um, touch it, feel it, or put the kids with autism often like to put their ear oh, up wow. to it because they like the vibration. So that's what we call a visual and auditory mm -hmm. calmer. Oh, um, I see. And what I often do when I'm teaching as a poll question, for mm -hmm. folks because it helps set up then some of the things you want to do for a sensory space. Mm -hmm. So when I teach, I often say, what is your sensory preference when you need to self-regulate? So let's do a quick poll. So mm -hmm. if you like visual things, something like sitting and watching a campfire or a fireplace or viewing a waterfall or an ocean or in yoga, we do something called candle gazing. So what is your, do you like mm. visual input? Do you like auditory input? That's what you just mentioned, Nancy, the background music or mm -hmm. white noise or like a sound of a fan or ocean apps, you know, mm -hmm. that you can put on your phone. So olfactory input is smell and I'm a big mm -hmm. proponent of that. So aromatherapy, obviously mm -hmm. you want to do that mindfully and it's often outside the scope of, of the school system. Um, mm -hmm. But um, having sense, having a scent um, to help you, like rosemary or lavender, which mm -hmm. can be um, alerting or calming. Mm -hmm. um, taste, not so much eating, but things like chewing gum or what do you do sort of with what we call the oral motor self-regulation. What do mm -hmm. you do? Um, do you like having a hard candy or a sour candy? A lot of our kids really love those sour fizzies because it helps <laughs> sort of rev them up, their sensory uh -huh. system needs revving up. So mm -hmm. um, tactile or touch input, like a fidget or something mm -hmm. um, like a squeeze ball. Vestibular, we call that, that's the movement input. So mm -hmm. things like swings or a rocking chair, a front porch swing. Mm -hmm. And then proprioceptive is the last one, big word. It's information that we get from our muscles and joints that gives us our awareness of body and space. Mm -hmm but it can also have an effect on the um, sort of the self-regulatory response of the body. So think things like yoga or lifting mm -hmm. weights or mixed martial arts or what, yeah. Um, even with kids, we have them like pull a heavy wagon or get under the weighted lap pad or blanket. So mm -hmm. um, those kinds of tools, even a, a massage is a great way to exemplify that, how good you feel after you mm -hmm. get a massage. That's very deep proprioceptive input. So we mm -hmm. use those sensory tools then to try to set up based on what we hear from the teachers and the students and whoever mm -hmm. is gonna be using the room. We use that information to try to figure out then how are we gonna design that sensory space? I see. So I can picture some of those things like being um, in the classroom and some of them being outside of the classroom. I love the idea of taking the sensory poll. I've, I've never thought right. to do that with my students and that seems like such a great idea. Yes, that we need to look because what I use to self-regulate isn't always the same as to what, you know, right. so, and, and it may change according to the day too mm -hmm. and their needs. Right. One of my greatest goals I wish as an OT was could we match teacher 
sort of sensory preferences to <gasps> sensory preferences. How dreamy would that be? Mm hmm. <laughs> Because yeah, for me, yeah, going on. right. I mean, if if I had a student who needed to click away all day for their <laughs> tactile movement, mm -hmm. that would drive me crazy because I, you know, I don't do well with all the repetitive noises. So if we could match. <laughs> right. Someone who's right. more of a what we call a sensory seeker, a teacher that likes doesn't mind a little more chaos or noise like that mm -hmm. would be a better match. So you get the idea. Absolutely. I know for a while, um, fidget toys were such a trend. So all these teachers went out and bought fidget toys and, you know, had a basket of them in the classroom. But then as soon as they started becoming distracting, these teachers just got rid of it and said, oh, I tried it. It doesn't work. And they're gone. <laughs> so I wish they would bring them back. But, you know, like you said, it's not just the fidget toys, but it could be a universal design that is not just in one little space on campus, but it could be spread everywhere and all different types of sensory. Now, when you mentioned the bubble wall, that's all I'm going to be thinking about now. <laughs> now, that leads to my next question that talks about innovative technologies. What are some innovative technologies or tools that can be incorporated into sensory spaces to enhance the sensory experiences and stimulate creativity and learning? I can start with that one, and then I know Suanne will want to add. So <laughs> okay. as I said previously, we, we sort of look at those the senses and look at tools to match them. So visual, for example, like we've already talked about the bubble wall or bubble tubes. Um, we use light cubes often for space. That's great for kids that might be visually impaired or have special needs, ADHD or cognitive impairments, but yet the light also can be a great tool to help with focus and attention, just doing activities like magnetiles on mm -hmm. a backlit lighted table. So we have things like that. We have auditory tools. Um, fiber acoustic furniture is something that's becoming um, a little more popular. We um, mm -hmm. certainly recommend that often. So literally you're in a piece of furniture mm -hmm. and there is built-in speakers so that you are feeling the sound, not just wow. listening, but uh -huh. the ability to feel the sound, which is wonderful again for our special needs kids that mm -hmm. might be hearing impaired and or very cognitively impaired because mm -hmm. they can still experience music. Mm -hmm. But then for us, um, uh, for universal design, mm -hmm. when you lie on one of these and feel the vibration or in the lounger, um, it's a really beautiful calming experience because it's tapping. When we tap into vibration, mm -hmm. it's hitting that proprioceptive sense, which is the deep touch pressure and heavy work that helps calm our body down. Oh, so wow. those are good tools there. And then, um, uh, yeah, I think those are some of the main ones from a technology standpoint. So when you want to talk about just like furniture design? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it, it all, again, does depend on what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I would look at soft seating that students can kind of sink into. You know, we have a, a beautiful little piece that, a student can sit on that's a piece of soft furniture, but it gives this little hug to them. Mm -hmm. It, you know, does a little bit of that pressure that they can sit and just relax, mm -hmm. you know, even things that hang and swing a little bit, not swing big, but you know, mm -hmm. just a little <laughs> slight movement. Mm -hmm. And I would say you said something that I often hear teachers talk about and it's, oh my gosh, the kids are overusing or they're even abusing some of that, that material. Mm -hmm. And I would say that really think of it no different than a math manipulative. 
you have to teach students that have never even really gotten to have mm. this opportunity mm-hmm. how to use things. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we using it? What is the purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, don't just use it as a privilege. They need that. You know, they really do need that that mm-hmm. outlet. Mm-hmm. So just treat it like a manipulative. You mm-hmm. how's what's the proper way to use that fidget? What's, you know, I'm not going to throw it across the room. I'm not going to, you know, put mm-hmm. it in my neighbor's face. This is how you're going to use it. So just be patient and loving with it. And students will so appreciate it. I know you've talked mm-hmm. about your students in your classroom that use your chill corner. Yes. Uh-huh. And I have these elastic bands that I have tied to the chair legs. And so for students who need that movement, they can be doing that with their feet. It doesn't make any noise, but they're getting that movement. And, you know, like I'm getting the nods. I'm like, yes, (laughs) they're approved by you guys. (laughs) That's again, that proprioceptive input. That's Mm -hmm. very deep touches. They push into the rubber band. It pushes back into Mm -hmm. their muscles and joints. And Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful self-regulator. And I know some teachers talked about... um, putting some Velcro, like sticky Velcro under their table, under the desk so that they're, you know, mm-hmm. right. Uh huh. Silent fidget. Yeah. Now I know some teachers are going to be, you know, researching like the fiber acoustic furniture and these magnetiles on like uh, the lit boards. You know, I'm writing these things down as, um, as we're talking. Um, I know they're going to be wondering, are they expensive? Where do I get them? How do I find the funding? So I want to, you know, once again, talk about, donors choose projects and, you know, writing grants. And, and I'm sure um, when you talk about meeting the needs of all these diverse students, um, I'm sure there will be so many companies that will want to support that and, um, and provide funding for that. Like what Sue Ann said, this is going to be resonating in my head um, um, today, a lot today, is that these things are not privileges, but they're needs. And so I think we often forget that, you know, we think, oh, well, you have to earn that. No, actually, in order for them to function really well as students and think clearly, um, they need it. And so I, I love that. It's I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. Um, it's not a reward. Okay. It's not a punishment. It just right. is. Mm-hmm. I tell teachers it's like taking a vitamin. You got to take the sensory vitamin every day. Right. And or then putting on glasses. Kids how to you know, self-regulate so they can advocate for what they need. Right. If we were to take a poll, like as we mentioned, I think a lot of the students might not even know how to answer that question. So maybe introducing all of the different options or all of the different sensory um, tools. And then and then they can, you know, decide on what and, and trying out different things and say, oh, I thought I would like this. I don't really like it. Or I didn't even know what this is, but I love it. So introducing those things and teaching them how to use it would be a very, very important um, thing to do. What kind of research or evidence-based practices can inform the design and the implementation of sensory spaces in schools? And how can educators and administrators collaborate to ensure their successful in- integration into the learning environment? Well, that was a long question. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Let's start off with the research. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that um, the research definitely supports why we need these things. We've seen a 30% increase in teenage anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. things like that. We're Mm -hmm. noticing that generation Z, so that's 12 years to about 26, Mm -hmm. and generation alpha, the younger guys, Mm -hmm. really, really are advocating more for themselves. 
they are really standing up saying, holy smokes, I need this. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Those two generations were in school at very critical times during COVID. Mm -hmm. I would challenge everyone here to really think about how we acted as adults during COVID. Mm -hmm. I don't know about everybody else, but I do know that I did not sit here at my desk the whole time. I was on the couch, on mm -hmm. the floor, mm -hmm. sitting outside, sitting on the swing, you know, doing all of those things really seated where I felt I needed. Well, the students are doing the same thing, you know, and I, I tell the story about my daughter. She's oh, right. Probably, hopefully she's not listening <laughs> to this one, but I tell this story all the time that, you know, I, I work with furniture. So what did she have? She had a great adjustable desk and an ergonomic chair. And she sat there maybe 10% of her time doing school. She was on the couch, on the bed, on the floor, outside, and even did school sitting in the hot tub. Mm -hmm. She put her computer up next to it. Uh -huh. And that was what she needed. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of the research is saying now I, is really that students are becoming more autonomous as learners. They're really asking for and demanding that we take care of some of those needs. So as educators, planning this room is really about sitting down and saying, what do we notice that students need? What have we asked students, just like you said, sitting down with them and letting them try things. And then really looking at, again, that continuum of spaces where do we notice maybe some flare-ups or maybe kids are kind of bummed and they're hanging around and we need to increase that connectivity. Um, and then sitting down with an expert, you know, much like Cecilia, I love talking to her about spaces, you know, and sit down and say, okay, with all of these needs, what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things can we put in? And really pushing that it's not just furniture, Mm -hmm. It's not just the space itself. It's really what kind of tools, what other tools do we use in that space? Mm -hmm. Because it's no different than sitting down and looking at the curriculum that we use and mm -hmm. saying, okay, we need this book. We know it meets these needs and these standards mm -hmm. and then going from there. Right. I know during testing, we used to give students little mints, like peppermints, because we you know, we heard that uh, research shows that students can think better, think clearly when they are smelling the peppermint, but also, you know, having that in their mouth um, would, you know, would help them focus better. So are we doing everything correct so far? Are we doing I okay? Think so. I think so. You know, I, I think you're doing great. I hope other teachers in your school have that chill mm -hmm. corner too. And mm -hmm. let students even sitting at their desk, have that fidget and, you know, if they need it. And be mindful too, that some students are always going to go one direction. They're always going to do either the mm -hmm. smell or the, you know, whatever right. that is, mm -hmm. but more students than not will change and they might need, you know, quiet one time, but then they might need some, some fidget another time. So allowing that, that flexibility and that, mm -hmm. again, that autonomy mm -hmm. um, and just when it comes to how do we implement it, mm -hmm. just try it, jump in, mm -hmm. learn, you know, together, learn with your students mm -hmm. um, and let them tell you what they like and what they don't like. They'll tell mm -hmm. you for sure. Well, okay. So I have a student in my math class and I'm not going to mention his name, 
but he had a really hard time sitting at a desk, you know, the traditional way, sitting at a desk with a regular chair, just working a certain way. And I have this big couch in the center of my classroom. And and, and so I guess it was very um, tempting for him. And so he asks me one day, Mrs. Chung, can I, can I, can I just sit on the couch? I was like, sure. So I had a lap desk and I brought that over. So he sat on the couch and he was so much quieter and he was able to focus better. And then he goes, can I take off my shoes? And I have this rule, like you can't take off their shoes in the classroom. But I was like, you know what? For this one kid, let me try it. So I let him take off his shoes. Next thing you know, he's crawled up like on the couch and he's working, but I've never seen him more focused and, and you know, as happy as I have seen him when he's crawled up on the couch and working that way. So I thought, you know, if this was my child, not just my student, but if this was my son, how would I feel, you know, about him putting his feet on the couch and working? I'm like, you know what, if that's going to help him focus better, let him do it. Just because I, I don't let everyone else do it or just because that's not the normal, you know, quote unquote, normal classroom setting or study setting. I just thought, you know what, let me just try it. And he's so happy and I'm getting so much better results from him as a student. Now, some of the other kids, how come he gets to do that? And I said, worry about yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I took that risk and I'm letting him do that. And but he's not taking advantage of it, but he's really, you know, taking that opportunity to focus and get his work done. And part of my role, I think, as an occupational therapist, I tell teachers is to teach you to become a sensory detective. Mm -hmm. So look how beautifully he advocated for himself. He mm -hmm. did almost all the work. Years mm -hmm. ago, I had a preschool student who was nonverbal, was running off in the playground, so very much a sensory seeker. And one day, a very smart, his preschool teacher saw him stuffing rocks in his pocket. So he's literally trying to weigh himself down. Like I oh need something. I need a weighted blanket. I need deep uh -huh. touch pressure input to calm myself down. So she was smart enough to see that cue. We talked through and we got him some of the strategies like a lap pad and some mm -hmm. of the furniture Swan is talking about. That spatial boundary for them is really mm -hmm. important when they can sink into furniture mm -hmm. that like beanbag chairs or things with foam that form mm -hmm. around them or mm -hmm. shells that will um, sort of give them where they are in space. Those mm -hmm. tools are really helpful too. Uh, we have a segment on our on our podcast called Tag Your It, where our listeners write in a question and we ask our guests these questions. And today's question comes from Gretchen F. And her question for you is, if you were to create your perfect sensory space that represents your personality, what elements would you include and why? Go ahead, Cecilia. Uh, so my personal preference, I, mm -hmm. I'm very much what we call a probe seeker, proprioceptive input. So I love deep touch pressure. So a mm -hmm. furniture, like a piece of furniture that's going to cuddle around me, mm -hmm. having something soft, like a weighted lap pattern blanket. I love yoga. Yoga gives my body that kind of input. Mm -hmm. um, so I would do that. And mm -hmm. then I also am very much, I like uh, smell input. So for mm -hmm. me, it would be some kind of scented candle like lavender or something calming so, and a candle. So those mm -hmm. would be mine. Okay. <clears throat> and then Suzanne? mine depends on the day, but my biggest preference would probably be having kind of that snuggle area, that snuggle spot. I like a big 
we've got a beautiful, beautiful hanging egg chair that I absolutely love because mm-hmm. I can bring my feet up and bring a big blanket in there and put mm-hmm. my headphones on mm-hmm. and just have that little bit of a rock and that little bit of a snuggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some days that I want to be outside and play some really loud music and, you know, mm-hmm. be out in the sunshine. So it mm-hmm. just kind of depends on the day. Great. Well, thank you so much. I learned so much uh, from you guys about the sensory spaces. And I have a list of things that I'm going to be uh, looking into. <laughs> this is getting expensive. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Cecilia and Sue Ann. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the ninth episode of the Schoolyard Podcast. Remember to pack your curiosity and meet us back in the schoolyard for our next episode. Tag, you're it. Now it's your turn to write in with a question, which we will answer here on the Schoolyard Podcast for our segment called Tag Your It. Tag us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or Twitter at School Specialty and hashtag Schoolyard Tag Your It with a question that you want answered. One question will be selected per episode to be answered by our featured guest and myself. If your question is chosen to be answered on the podcast, we'll send you a very special Schoolyard Podcast t-shirt class dismissed.